Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Yawning this morning. Yawn stretching this morning. Yeah. Welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> we'll go back to bed, Mom. Come on. <laughs> I am. I'm giggling. Um, I am. I don't, I can never figure it out. You know, some people are morning people, Benny, you know, some people are not. And I, I do, when I get up early in the morning, I really, really like it, but man, it is hard to do it sometimes this morning. I was telling Benny, everybody listening that I just, well, I don't know, the leaves are turning color and I'm instantly wanting to just stay in bed. Right. It's you definitely know? a seasonal thing. You feel it. It's in the air, the crisp, and it's like kind of like starting to show up a little bit. It just makes yeah. you want to like just stay in your warm little cozy bed just a little bit longer. And then you're like, I got to go to work. <laughs> yeah, I got to get up. Got to yeah. get up. But I've been doing, yeah. you know, mornings for like 20 years. So I'm really excited every day I come in and I'm so used to it anyways and still I get everyone's like how do you get up so early at three o'clock I'm like it'd be the same thing that you getting up at six o'clock and going to bed at 10 I go to bed a lot earlier than that but we're here for you and we love it just um maybe get that little extra push these next couple of weeks trying to get out of that bed right (laughs) that would help yeah yeah exactly um I I'm pulling out my seasonal lamps you know the we, we all have a seasonal depressive disorder mm-hmm. here in the Seattle area. Well, okay, I, not everyone. I know there's people going, I don't. What are you talking about, Loretta? They're and quick go, to deny, you know. Yeah. They're the first to admit. <laughs> <laughs> However you want to look at it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it is starting to get beautiful out there. Yeah. Paul is gorgeous mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, yeah, it's happening. The squirrels were out in the trees yesterday when I was over at the office and they're like, oh, someone's in there. What? What is she going to take our nuts? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're plumping up here. We're, so, we're hoarding. Yeah. We're hoarding. We're getting ready. Anyway, uh, I think I forgot to say it. Anyway, welcome to the original Loretta Brown show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, awaken the consciousness. Obviously I'm the original Loretta Brown. That's how that The works. one and only. I know. Did you name are... the squirrels? <laughs> Do you have names for um, them? Uh, I uh, Ch- Chippy and Squirrel. I think you just made that up. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that one. <laughs> Wasn't there Chip and Dale? Yeah, Aren't but they were chipmunks, not chipmunks? squirrels. Oh, totally different. <laughs> Don't go Uh-oh. there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going there. I'm going to get in trouble. That's what's going to happen, right? You know? Um. Yeah, no, um, I do have this thing with animals and um, quite often when I'm out walking, they will come, especially birds, right? Like crows and ravens. So I see a lot of birds when I'm out and about and eagles. Yeah. I was off last week. I was out glamping and uh, actually yeah, glamping, glamping, like the yeah. real deal. Because I mean, there's an actual. Well, oh, it was. It could have been glampier, oh. more glampy. <laughs> All right. For those that don't know, it's glam- glorious, glamorized camping. So you're out in the wilderness, but then you're kind of either in an RV or a camping trailer, and you still have electronics. Those are availabilities. That's the full, you know, term and form that okay, I. Okay. Well, I'm I, I was, uh, you know, I was in a tent. Oh, so that's right? not glamping. I was in a tent, but I had, uh, I felt like I was glamping because I had a blow-up air mattress bed that was like a queen size. Nah, <laughs> that's, that's not normal. gonna work. Nah, that's normal. 
that's just camping. That's just regular okay. camping. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to up my game next <laughs> yeah. time I decided, you know, because um, it rained and spiders were trying to get in out of the rain. And I don't do that. You know, they, they have to sleep in the trees or yeah, someplace. Yeah, I need to be, not, you know, with the squirrels. Not, yeah, with Chip, the squirrels. <laughs> yeah, Chippy and Squirrely or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm All sorry. Right. We're just bantering. I don't know. Sometimes I just want to talk, everyone. So I, hope, <laughs> I hope that uh, gave you time to get your, your coffee or your morning mud water or whatever it is that you guys drink in the morning. I am the owner of Reiki Oasis located right here in the greater Seattle area uh, for the last 27 years. We've got things coming up. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com. This Saturday, I have the Temple of the Divine Feminine for the women and we're going to have a beautiful uh, autumn equinox um, uh, meditation and time together. And then I have Reiki 2 class coming up, Reiki master class. You can find out more about that at my website. I want to check in with astrology because we have so much going on. And I kind of want to tell people just to get ready for uh, astrological weather. I always remind you we're greater than the stars, but they can affect us. So the autumn equinox, of course, is today, which is uh, September 22nd. And um, it's going to peak, I guess you might say, actually at 6.03 p.m. today, if you want to be specifically on time. We also have six planets in a retrograde, and I want to just shout them out very quickly. Pluto retrograde until October 8th, which is going to amplify transformation, transformation and your ability to reinvent yourself. We have Saturn retrograde until October 23rd, which is going to teach us balance between order, discipline, and creative chaos. Neptune retrograde until December 3rd. Neptune helps us uh, transcend our inner focus, right, towards service. And Neptune's kind of a dreamy planet, right? Jupiter retrograde. Jupiter's the big uh, king planet, kind of magnifies everything. Jupiter's retrograde until November 24th, which is going to help us search for meaning and personal truth. We have Uranus retrograde until January 22nd of 2023. And he's, uh, Uranus is the break free freedom planet, uh, trying to help us let go of limitations. And we have Mercury retrograde until October 2nd. And we all know about Mercury retrograde. I uh, posted a funny thing on my Facebook page the other day. <laughs> And where it showed this person uh, with some dollar bills and they were trying to slip them off, off to the side of Mercury and they go, I'm just trying to bribe Mercury to stop going retrograde, right? Like, stop doing it. I've been and, broke uh, all year, so you know how I feel. <laughs> Completely broke. Yeah, yeah I, I do know. And, and I had a lot of uh, computer problems this week and website problems and things like that. So when the planets are retrograde, I just want to remind people that it's like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's a retro party. Think about looking backwards, but also remember that you are in now time. So you're not living in the past, but things might come around. They might want you to revisit them. Maybe it's time to clean it up or declutter, or do something in a little bit of a different way. So um, just recognize that sometimes we do have to do that before we can move on. 
And then we also have Chiron, the wounded heal healer retrograde until December 23rd, which is looking at our wounds, our personal wounds. And the greatest wound is the wound of who am I? You know, what's my identity? What am I doing here? So today is the autumn equinox, brings in themes of reflection or reassessment and balance. And it strengthens our receptivity to the spirit world. And under the equinox, the energy of Mother Earth rises, allowing us to align our heartbeat with the heartbeat of our beautiful home planet. So I suggest you spend some time in nature today um, and also spend some time with introspection because the energy of autumn here in the northern hemisphere gets us to begin to look inward. We've gone through spring, we've gone through summer, and now we're, we're like getting ready to go into um, winter, which is not here yet, right? But it is time to be introspective. <clears throat> and so during the equinox, we have uh, equal hours of daylight and nightfall. And we're also stepping into Libra, which is the balancer. So Libra loves this uh, autumn equinox vibe. And as we head into the colder months of the year, it's a reminder to find your equilibrium. Are you off balance? So do a grounding ceremony today if you want to. Um, by the way, anything that reminds you that you're in a body is grounding. And also during Libra, you might need to clear your minds of mental chatter or clutter and take a look at how you've been thinking about yourself. Are you being kind? Or are you beating yourself up? What are you doing? Um, so begin with the self and then also take a look at your relationships, uh, your partnerships. Try to find a happy medium in any area that feels out of whack. And Libra loves peace, justice, and fairness. <clears throat> so it might help us with any of those Mercury retrograde dramas. And then also during the final hour of the equinox, We've got a very special alignment which takes place between um, Mercury and the Sun, known as the Mercury Kazemi. And the word Kazemi means in the heart of the Sun. So it refers to when a planet is in a conjunction aspect with our Sun. And this Mercury Kazemi marks a key moment in the current Mercury retrograde cycle. And the fact that it occurs on the brink of a new astrological and meteorological season makes it extra intense. So in ancient astrology, when Mercury was conjunct with the sun, it was it believed that Mercury, which is the planet of communication, would whisper messages to the king, and the king is the sun, delivering secrets or hidden information or wisdom. So pay attention to any of those things coming out either personally for yourself. You might have messages whispered to you about the truth or in the world around us. And then if that's not enough going on, we have a new moon in Libra coming up in a couple of days in the September 24th. And um, it's going to try to push us toward peacefulness. But there's 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 like I said, I keep saying this, there's a bit of a rough aspect right now between are we going to do things in a peaceful, loving way or are we just kind of blow up? So walk gently with yourselves, everybody. It's a good time to um, just pause, like I said, 
recognize the seasons are changing and we are affected by it and keep yourself in a, in a beautiful spot. So I would like to bring my guest onto the show today. And um, I'm just uh, would like to introduce him. My guest is Mark Matusik. He's a teacher and an award-winning author of seven books at least, including When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living. And drawing on 20 years of experience and using stories, parables, and scientific data, Mark gives the first ever comprehensive look at the mysterious phenomenon of Veriditas, the power of drawing passion, beauty, and wisdom from the unlikeliest places. In his book, which is great, you need to just get it and get your tissues ha handy, um, Mark interviews hundreds of well-known survivors, such as a Tibetan nun imprisoned by the Chinese at age 11, and the women of Kalama, Chile, digging for their disappeared. Drawing insight and advice from these heroic individuals, Mark presents a chorus of wisdom on how to survive our own lives and prevail. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so Thanks, much. Thanks, Loretta. Nice to see you. Great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you. I, I, I'm going to do my best not to cry during this whole interview because it's it's tears of grace, right? Tears of grace and mercy, kind of what I think. But I want to let the people know, here's your beautiful book, When You're Falling, Dive. And um, yeah, I was telling Mark before the show, I cried through the whole book. I'm that girl and I just do it. So let's talk about what it's about. Mark, I would love for you to... Um, Tell the kind of introduce yourself a little bit better to the listening audience um, and tell us about your own um, your own struggles, you know, what brought you to this point. Oh, well, that's a that's a long story. I'll try I to know. make it as brief as possible. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of confusion and displacement, violence and and abandonment, trauma. Uh, so I became a seeker at a very young age. I started to look inward for answers uh, about who I was, where I was going, and why there was so much suffering all around me. And that's really what turned me into a writer. And many, like many writers, I I began to to write seeking seeking answers, you know, seeking solutions, and seeking a way through. Uh, the confusion and difficulties that I was experiencing myself and that I saw the people I loved experiencing. And that led to a career, a fascination with stories, people's stories, including my own. Yeah. I first became a journalist in New York. I worked in the magazine business. Then I wrote my first memoir in the mid-1990s, which was called Sex, Death, Enlightenment. Uh, and I've been I've been a professional writer for 30 plus years. Uh, and uh, 15 years ago, I started teaching as well. I teach a method called writing to awaken, which comes out of my own deep experience, you know, exploring questions of identity, spirituality, consciousness, uh, suffering, you know, what is it that creeps, creates our suffering, uh, and helping people to explore the truth of their lives in order to shift the narratives that control how they live. So that's a very tight little uh, capsule of uh, how, how I have come to do what I do. <laughs> I, I realize that's a big question. And I also, um, you know, because you share some of your, your story in your book 
And this idea of writing to awaken, I want to talk more about that. Uh, what, what do you mean? <laughs> How does that work? Like I was actually going to not start with that, but I think it's where we need to start. Sure. Uh, what I say, Loretta, is that when you tell the truth, your story changes. And when your story changes, your life is transformed. That's the, that's the, the nugget of, of what I teach. And it starts from the understanding that we don't often tell the whole truth, either to ourselves or to other people. And we move through our lives, you know, living, you know, different levels of fabrication, euphemism, making other people feel good, protecting our reputation. There are many, many reasons why we're not honest. But when we start to tell the whole truth about our thoughts and feelings, uh, it shifts the perspective. It shifts the story that we use to live through. Uh, and when that happens, our lives are necessarily transformed. I mean, you are uh, very familiar with the idea of self-created reality. We understand that perspective creates our own world. It creates our own reality. So the work I do helps people to get to the, the, the story underneath the story, get to the deeper truth that they don't necessarily express to themselves or other people in order to free themselves from those materials, those narratives that are manipulating them without their being aware of it. Wow. I love what you just said. Um, I'm thinking you're absolutely right. I, I think sometimes people don't even sit still long enough to figure out what their truth is, right? Because they're so busy either going through life or they're busy going, well, this defines me. This is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah. yeah, the truth. And it, yeah, and the other piece, important piece, is that we're not talking about the eternal transcendent truth here, the truth with a capital T. That's an unchanging eternal quality of consciousness. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the messy, contradictory, changing human truth of what matters to us uh, at, on any given day. And that's something that is always changing. And that's why self-inquiry is a practice. Not like, oh, good, I got the answer now. I don't have to ask those questions anymore. No, in fact, it's an ongoing uh, practice of spiritual and psychological hygiene, you know, to, to inquire. Yes, to inquire. Um, you were sharing before the show, you had just done uh, some uh, teachings out on Hollyhock, right? Um, and I also know that you have a, a, a something called the Seekers Forum. Could you give us some examples of what you're talking about sure absolutely well yes i was teaching in hollyhock one of my favorite places on cortez island and i was teaching writing as a spiritual practice uh, the seekers forum is a community i started in 2013 because i wanted a place for uh, philosophical dialogue that had nothing to do with tradition or isms or joining groups or obligations just for people who were free thinking interested in knowing themselves from a wide variety of different traditions. And so we have a community. It's, a, it's international. It's the seekersforum.com if folks want to check us out. I have a weekly Writing to Awaken session that I give with the group. That's our core practice. And it is, uh, it's a wonderful place for self-investigation. And in this day and age, at this moment, we need self-inquiry more than ever before. Uh, and that, so the Seekers Forum, I feel, is, is serving a really important purpose. And I love it. It's, it's just a fabulous community of people uh, from, from all over the place, age, you know, 25 to 80. Yeah, I'm, I'm 
assuming that's an online thing, people can join via Zoom or whatever. Yes, it's an online thing. Go to theseekersforum.com. You can sign up. It's a sliding scale. It's, an, it's just a sort of a, uh, a donation thing. And it's a wonderful, wonderful group. So is this a way then that people can find out the truth? Like they're writing, they're writing about themselves. They're, are they writing their memoirs? What are they doing? Well, no. I mean, of course, there are many people who are writing memoirs. There are people who are, you know, working on different projects. Each month, we work on a different topic related to self-realization. Uh, uh, and so the writing that we do during that month would be connected to that. For example, this month, uh, the program is called The Marriage of Sense and Soul. And it's about how science and spirituality interact with one another and how that affects the choices that we make in our personal lives. So the writing we're doing is all about where intuition and reason meet, uh, how uh, empirical are we, how evidence-based are we in our own spiritual uh, practice, uh, how might, where do we fall into magical thinking? You know, there are all kinds of ramifications to this question. Yes. So each, each, each month's topic is big enough so that it can take us on, take us in a lot of different directions in terms of our own, our own uh, self-questioning. Yeah, I love this self-inquiry thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to check it out. That's what I'm going to do. Um, I want to pull us back around to your book, you know, the book, When You're Falling, Dive. And I want you to just begin with the title. What do you mean? What's the difference between falling and diving? Where does that title come from? Anyone who's ever jumped off a diving board knows exactly the difference between diving and belly flopping or just allowing yourself to fall without any surrender, without any grace. Or, so or, how, or, or yelling on your way down like Loretta's like, ah! Yes, you know how much that helps. Yeah, uh, not, not. So the book, I wanted to explore this question of how adversity leads to growth, how post-traumatic growth happens. And the difference between people who flourish uh, after loss and after after pain and and and, and difficulty, uh, and folks who fall apart, you know, what is the what are the crucial differences? So I interviewed many many people, uh, and I used my own story also uh, to to inform the writing. And the key difference is surrender, the willingness to change, the willingness to meet things as they are, uh, and to realize that we're part of of a movement that's bigger than we are. There's a force that's larger than, than us, that moves through us. And when we dive, we surrender to that force. So it doesn't mean that we don't still make choices. It doesn't mean we, we have no responsibility for our choices. Of course we do. But beyond a certain point, we cannot control the outcome. And that is the big difference between belly flopping and diving. It's trying to control the outcome and playing God and imagining that we can uh, that we can know the future or what is meant for us. In fact, we're as someone says, you know, we're guests in this cosmic hotel. You know, we are not the proprietors. And when we forget that, that's when we get into trouble. Wow, this word surrender. And also, I love this analogy of of of, of diving and and jumping. I'm I'm imagining, you know, like if you're quote unquote falling, right falling from the diving board and you're thrashing around but when you dive you know especially those professional divers because i love watching mm -hmm. those guys that you know flip around 85 times and you know slide into the water like whatever 
but the difference between that there's a surrender there's also an acceptance though and right there's, there's also, a excuse me yeah, yeah go, go ahead, ahead. No, i was no. gonna say there's also intentionality oh yeah that, there you go yeah, there's intentionality there's direction they're saying i am going to surrender to what is intended for me i am going to open to what comes to me i'm not going to get lost in uh you know in imagining things to be different than they are and that kind of focus is actually very calming it relieves our stress it brings us to center it's empowering uh, to have the intention to move with things to move with things instead of against them my goodness um there's so much in that 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 idea that we are just guests in the hotel right so many people are so wrapped up in controlling or um, I, I actually want to touch on what you said, the words magical thinking, like everybody's like, no, 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 I've got this, I've got this, you know, I created my vision board, and this is how it's going to be, and that thing is not on my board, and, you know, so what's magical thinking, what's, what's a better thing than magical thinking? <laughs> um, mindfulness. Mindfulness pays attention to things as they are. It responds to reality as it is. Uh, that's the surrender. That's the cooperation. Magical thinking is an ego trip. You know, magical thinking is a way of manipulating the future. Uh, and it's a way of trying to play God. Uh, it's as my friend Byron Katie calls it, an argument with reality. You know, it's saying, I will not accept that. I'm going to imagine this is more true. And I'm going to hold on to that despite all evidence to the contrary. And that, that is truly not helpful. Uh, magical thinking can, can, get, can lose us in fantasy. And, and while imagination is a beautiful thing, it's only a beautiful thing when we know we're doing it. But a lot of us are lost in imagination without knowing we're lost in our imagination. We're lost, we're, we're, we're using magical thinking or being disempowered by it without knowing that we are. So once you realize, once you face the facts and look at things as they are, facts on the ground, like every spiritual teacher since time immemorial has told us to do, then we can exercise imagination. We can, you know, we can think of alternative possibilities. That's all beautiful. And then we co-create our lives with the forces that are, are larger than us. That's very different from this is my vision board. It's not on my vision board. I refuse to accept that this is what's actually happening. Yeah, I I want to uh, explore that more. I think this we're gonna put a station break in here real quick. But my goodness, Mark, I I'm letting you talk because the richness of what you're saying is so needed right now. You know, we always talk about how we live in interesting times, like we are in those times. So uh, let's take a station break, everybody. Don't go away. This is Loretta Brown. My guest today, Mark Matusik. We're talking about his book, When You're Falling, Dive. And when we come back, I, I want to really, I, I'm going to ask more questions about this co-creative thing and how do we know if we're just in fantasy, what the difference is once we accept what's in front of us and then what happens after that. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. 
Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my guest, Mark Matusik. And I'm Loretta Brown. I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com. And also, these shows are archived at the KKNW 1150 archives for the original Loretta Brown Show. We're on iTunes, Podcast One, Spotify, Twitter. We're all over the place. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of shows that you can listen to with some really, really of the most amazing people. What a blessed, wonderful job I have to talk to amazing people. Woohoo! Yeah, I like it. So we're talking about when you're falling, dive lessons in the art of living. And before the break, we were talking about magical thinking, falling into fantasy. And you brought out such a good point, Mark, and I want to kind of emphasize it. So once we, like, I think the difficulty is people surrendering or accepting what is there right in front of them. And then once they do that, then there's an entire process that occurs, right? Yeah. Um, I want to read from your book. And what I love is how, uh, when I asked, you know, what should I do? And I opened the book, this is what I opened to. And it's in your chapter called The Art of Losing where you're talking about Viktor Frankl, who was in the concentration camp and, and wrote um, the book, The Man's Search for Meaning. And here's a little quote. Fundamentally, therefore, any man can, even under such circumstances, decide what shall become of him, mentally and spiritually. He may retain his human dignity, even in a concentration camp. Dostoevsky said once, there is only one thing that I dread, not to be worthy of my sufferings. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, I just blows, blows me away. Um, and I want to read the next paragraph, which is your writing. This sounds like an odd aspiration uh, at first, being worthy of bad things that happen to us. Yet our very resistance to being broken by evil is what prevents us from becoming playthings of circumstances. Without this dignity, Frankel suggests, we might as well be animals. Yes, yes. 
That's what he said famously was that our, the last of the human freedoms is our ability to choose our response regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. So barring ex experiences of extreme affliction and suffering, I'm not being glib about this. When yeah. you're on your, you know, if you're, if you're undergoing a terror, you know, surgery, I mean, obviously there are times when pain is beyond the mind's ability to, to, to reframe or, 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 the, or, or choice. But the other 99% of the time, we do have, uh, we do have power over how we choose what we choose, and how we wish to respond to our, our circumstances. When you understand that you stop being a victim. Yeah. It's it is the doorway out of victimization. Choice is the doorway out of victim out of victimization. Uh, what what Frankel said was that this despair equals suffering minus meaning. Wow. I thought was fantastic. Oh, that's, yeah, that is, please go on. Yes. Well, suffering is, well, pain is inevitable, um, but without meaning, uh, that's when it becomes despair. That's when it leads us to a, a, a place of hopelessness. Uh, and a sense of futility and nihilism that is completely disempowering. It, it cuts us off from our own spirit. But our uh, unique human ability to create meaning, because of course, meaning is a story. Our ability to create meaning slash find meaning is what transforms our experience from being one of uh, victimization and loss and inevitable inevitable disaster you know, to one of learning uh, and growth and realizing that we are equal to our circumstances. This is so important. One of the primary reasons that people get caught in fear is that they forget that they are actually equal to their circumstances. We have the means with which to meet our, uh, our obstacles and our challenges, uh, but the fear blocks that awareness. Uh, and blame blocks that awareness uh, and bitterness and et cetera, and putting our authority outside of ourselves. All of those things block us from the awareness of the power that we actually have. Wow. I, I'm going to listen to this and type it up and stick it on my mirror and look at it all the time. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm also thinking about that, what I said, you know, we live in interesting times and during the break, you and I were talking about, you know, the last few years in the pandemic, and it's really affected all of us in all of those ways that you just said. So we're, we've been in fear, we've been looking outside ourselves for all kinds of things, people are suffering. Um, so yeah. And people are also having fantastic breakthroughs. They Thank are you. reinventing how they live. Yes. They're rejiggering their values. They are leaving jobs that make them unhappy. They are looking for work that gives them joy. They're moving out of relationships that are stale and, and, and perhaps even, even destructive. Uh, people are reinventing themselves in the midst of this, uh, this challenge. Uh, and both things are happening. So on the one hand, we have the divisions and the polarities and the us versus them and the haves and the have nots, all of those ugly things, the shadow that the pandemic has brought out. All of that is real. It is also true that in my, to my mind, not since the 1960s have we seen such a rush of interest in consciousness and transformation. And we have to find a way through this. We can't, there's a general knowledge that we can't continue to live the way we've been living. 
yeah. either you know as a nationally or, or, or in our personal lives. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. But what we do with it is what matters. You know, what do we choose? Do we choose to go down a path of, of hopelessness or are we going to look for the, the possibility? And, and let's not be, you know, let's not be uh, unrealistic. The fact is yeah. many people have used this as a path of self-pity and defeat and blame and aggression. I've seen, I've seen people whose lives have gotten much smaller because of this, this adversity. Uh, and I've also seen a lot of people who have made changes in their lives that they didn't have the courage to make before because suddenly they realize, ah, the jig is up, you know, time is of the essence. We really are mortal and we better get on with it. Yeah, I, so a thousand percent, everything you just said. Uh, and I, I'm also so appreciative of flipping that narrative because that's really what I wanted to do. Like, we are in challenging times. Some Somebody said to me, well, when have we not been? Well, but there is a collective, mm -hmm. massive wave of this, right? Like everyone that I talk to is saying the same things. And I do believe it is the greatest opportunity, the greatest opportunity. Um, when we step into being a survivor and, and, and turning away from victimhood, right? Like taking back our power what does that mean? You know, like these are things we say all the time, but I think it's this is to the point conversation. Um, and then also, how do we shift that? We are part of it. We're all doing it, right? And my experience, and it's a personal experience, is that when we go through in intensity, is what I call great pain, great suffering, uh, great abuse, right? Um, great grief. That there, it's an initiatory path of some kind. We use it that absolutely. You, yeah. It is if we use that it that way. But that's one of the bases of of the book of when you're falling dive is that we have forgotten that adversity is meant to be is a rite of passage. It's meant to be an initiation. That when we have loss in our lives, it's an opportunity for to look for those things that cannot be lost. In other words, our spiritual qualities. There's a design to this. We are intended to awaken, and part of that awakening process is loss and destruction and, and, the, and the promise of, of death. This is part of why we wake up. If we didn't suffer, we wouldn't become seekers. No one would. They'd, just, they'd be very happy just staring at the flowers and looking at the sky, and God bless the tiny, tiny percentage of people who are really in that blessed state. The, the fact is most of us are struggling to find our way to a feeling of wholeness and an awareness of who we truly are. And the thing that prompts us on that journey is adversity. You know, most of us have to be dragged kicking and screaming into spiritual life. You know, we talk about the spiritual path as if it were just this glorious, lovely thing. The spiritual path is full of difficulty. It's full of danger and darkness and dark nights of the soul. And if you expect differently, uh, then you go to a carnival and you know, play on the rides. <laughs> real life, real life really makes demands on us in the spiritual life that we may not you know, be prepared for. You know, the death of the ego is no small thing. Yeah. But it's also the price of admission to a different way of living. Yeah, I was only giggling because I was relating to it so deeply what you were saying. Um, this idea that um, 
Yeah, the spiritual path is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> they say aging is not for sissies. Well, neither is, no. <laughs> neither is spiritual seeking. Uh, years ago, I, I remember my life was falling apart and someone says, how are you doing? And I go, great, everything's falling apart. I must be, I must be going in the right direction, <laughs> right? <laughs> That, right? yeah, I, I always say that if the, I say you can look at the life as a win-win situation. If you get what you want, fantastic. It's great to get what you want. It's a pleasure. If you don't get what you want, spiritually speaking, it's even better medicine because it forces you to look at where you're, where you're caught, where you're clinging and where you're overly attached. And I just want to say one thing before we go on, I'm not trashing the ego and that's yeah. very common in spiritual sure. circles. We need the ego uh, for a sense of individuality to navigate through the world. Uh, when I talk about the death of the ego, I'm talking about the overweening ego, the ego that becomes toxic, that yeah. plays God, uh, and, and that really does need to die before we can begin to surrender to, to a larger, you know, a larger reality. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, there's so many, like I said, amazing stories in this book um i really recommend people get it and and read it the there's a lot of things in this book that i call uh, the things we don't want to look at right we don't want to look at the ugly or the painful or the heinous or the whatever like and and probably i mean you could talk about this better than i could maybe um it's because we don't want to look at what you were talking about earlier. What is our truth? That's right. Because the truth is not all pretty. You know, the truth contains things that we don't want to look at. Uh, but of course, the shadow, which is what you're talking the about, shadow. something that we all have to pass through on a path of awakening, uh, contains not only terrible things that we don't want to look at, our fear and our shame and our grief, uh, it also contains our gifts. It contains yes. our power and our originality, our uniqueness and our courage. Uh, and so everyone I spoke to in this, in this book uh, had to pass through their own version of the shadow, their own dark night of the soul in order to know who they really were. And we spend so much of our lives projecting our shadow outward until we reclaim that and say the yeah. thing I hate in you is the thing I hate in myself until we can get to that very basic you know maturing point nothing really begins to shift because we are yeah. essentially in a victim mentality until we say ah the enemy is me yeah. you know, that, that that is part of who I am the ancients called that metanoia seeing life from both sides realizing that you have both aspects of who you are as Joni Mitchell said, looking at life from both sides oh, yeah. now, you know, until we do that, we can't mature as human beings. Uh, and we will continue to think that they're wrong and we're right. And if only they would do that, then everything would be okay for us. And, and, and nothing changes. Yes, that is exactly right. Metanoia. Metanoia. Yeah. 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 There's annoyance and then there's metanoia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, that's how my brain works. Um, so in, in your book, is there any, I don't quite know how to answer, ask this question. Is there any story or any wisdom that stands out for you that you'd like to share with the listening audience? 
Oh, there are so many. Uh, speaking of magical thinking, the book starts with an interview with Joan Didion, who was a great writer. Most people probably have heard of her. And she wrote a, a book called The Year of Magical Thinking. And she, re after her husband died very suddenly, right in, before her eyes. And she wrote about that year after he died of being caught in this cycle of magical thinking and realizing that it was resistance that was preventing her from, from grieving and, and beginning to move forward. But I'd say that and I interviewed Ram Das, who was a, a friend, somebody I collaborated with. Uh, the, the person in the book who stands out for me is always Stanley Kunitz. He was a, an American uh, poet. He was the poet laureate at one time. And I closed the book with our, our interview because he is so endlessly inspiring. Now, I met Stanley when he was 100 years old. Uh, and he was <laughs> one of the most vibrant, vital, engaged, interested people I've ever met. Uh, and he said, I don't wake up as a hundred year old. I wake up as a poet. He said, I, I meet each day uh, like a bride, like a new bride. And he said to me, reinvention is my philosophy. He also said something wonderful. He said, of course, there are penalties to getting older, but I'm happy to pay them. He had such grace mm -hmm. and gratitude about life, uh, such deep um, determination uh, to live wisely uh, and, and to bring his, the values of who he was into not only his poetry, but into how he mentored other writers. Stanley was a fantastic man, and he had been through hell from losing his father when he was nine years old to being refused a job at Harvard that he had been offered because he was a Jew. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And he wasn't bitter. He had managed to get into to, to reach 100 years old without being a victim. And to me, that was the, the sign that, that this truly is possible, you know, for us to, if we meet our lives creatively, uh, then we don't have to go down that narrowing path of, of, of adversity toward the world, you know, seeing the world and seeing life as the enemy. That there's no, there is no peace in that. There's no happiness in that. We're part of a larger process that has both shadow and light in it. Uh, that's the deal. That's our human condition. Now let's make the most of it. You know, let's really wake up through that, uh, through that process. Wow. That is well said. And uh, I, I know that people are listening and some people are like, yeah, that's right on. And other people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? How do I get there? Right. Moment by moment, Loretta, I mean, really, and to speak to those people who, who yeah. for whom this just sounds like like uh, Pollyanna. Yeah, and there's no yeah. denial in this. Right. We're talking about facing things as they are, including the hard things and make and responding heartfully, responding mindfully, moment by moment by moment. And it's an ongoing practice. It's not like you wake up one day and you no longer feel like a victim. You challenge your victim thoughts, your victim stories day by day by day as they arise. And whether it's writing that you use or you use some other reflection practice, that's the hygiene. That's why it, we have to keep doing it because old habits don't die easily. You know, we've been doing this a long time, thinking of ourselves as the center of the universe, you know, <laughs> thinking that the mind can solve everything and, and so on. These are old habits and many of them are, are reflected in the culture. Uh, so when we sh begin to shift and we have insight, that's where the courage to keep going 
comes from. Uh, and that's the beauty of spiritual practice is even though mm-hmm. you know, enlightenment may seem a, far, a long ways away, every step you take on the spiritual path is redeeming. You can, it feels better. You have clarity. And that clarity is what inspires us to, to keep going, as, as you know. Yeah, I do. Um, I was talking to um, one of my clients yesterday, and <laughs> interestingly enough, we were sort of talking about this very thing right? Like you, you said some great things like you're equal to the circumstances. You mm-hmm. are equal to them, but mm-hmm. we feel small or we shrink in or we're like, oh, that's looming over me, you know, whatever the deal it is. Um, but also this idea that I can change this storyline if it's a storyline, like I can rewrite it. I can write myself out of it, yes. right? Yes. yes. And yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. And it starts with asking ourselves really deep questions. You know, where does it hurt? Where am I caught? What am I believing that isn't true? How am I victimizing myself? Yeah. What am I ignoring? These are just fundamental questions that we can use to do this, this uh, practice, spiritual and psychological, you know, hygiene practice on a daily basis. You know, 15 minutes a day of writing has been shown to have extraordinary psychological and physical benefits. Unbelievable. It accelerates healing. It builds the immune system. Uh, it improves relationships. It improves employability. I mean, the, the research is, is in. We know that when we bring outside of ourselves what's in there and we're able to look at it with some objectivity, it shifts our experience. It shifts how we live. And just knowing that is incredibly powerful. It doesn't cost anything. <laughs> you don't. Have, it, it's something that we can do for ourselves. We become our own guides. In fact, what happens, Loretta, is that the witness, that part of ourselves that's larger than we are, is the guide. And we tap into that internal guidance through writing uh, and, and other you know, forms, you know, meditation therapy and so on. I love it. Um, I'm a journaler. I've been writing for years and I do what you say. Every morning when I wake up, I'm just like, okay, here we go, right? Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes go, where was I last night? What did I do <laughs> while I was sleeping, right? <laughs> Who knows, right? <laughs> Thanks for laughing. <laughs> um, I, also, I, into, I spoke yeah. last week with a guy named Andrew Holacek, speaking of dreaming, who, who is a, an expert in lucid dreaming. Ah. And he knows where he was last night because he was awake in his own dreams. Uh, can you imagine what that's like? To be able to be awake in a dream and then uh, you know, manipulate and, and, and change things within the dream, that's an extraordinary uh, idea. Yeah, I've played with that a little bit. And then I realized I needed to stop uh, doing things while I was trying to sleep, just sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> some people it works, right? You know, we've all got our thing. Yes. Uh, the other thing I wanted to pull forward, though, it is um, this idea that um, survivors are more rooted in life or it, the way that we're more present yes yes i love that and and it's been my experience it was certainly the experience of everyone i've spoken to that there's a a vitality that comes when you've when your life has been threatened and you've moved through that that folks who've had more protected lives have a hard time relating to uh self-pity goes you know there's a gratitude simply for being here for having the experience in the first place 
Terence Dupre, who is a scholar of the Holocaust, wrote a wonderful book called The Survivor. And he says that survivors are more rooted, deeply rooted in life than the rest of us. He said their, their will to survive is as stubborn as the upsurge of spring. <laughs> I think it's so beautiful, that upsurge of spring. That's veriditas. That's that greening power that, that you mentioned in the intro. Uh, and can, survivors, in order to survive, we have to connect to that power. Yeah, we do. And once you're in that power, it's a lot harder to shake yourself off the off the path. Well, and there's also this aspect of, and you were talking about it, death is inevitable, right? Um, but we don't have to focus on death. You know, for myself, I'm like, I'm alive right now, right? So even if I'm someplace and I've been delayed, let's say I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm in traffic and I'm sitting for an hour, you know, rather than getting... I, I sometimes just sit there going, wow, look at how beautiful the sky is. Look at all these people. They all have stories and they're all sitting there, you know, and I'm like, hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I, love right? what Eckhart, I love what Eckhart Tolle says. He says, no matter what you're doing, you're either sitting, standing or lying down. <laughs> so if you're sitting in traffic or you're sitting, it doesn't really matter. You're always doing one of those three, three things. So what's why stress over it? Yeah, you know, surrender to that and then also let let that bring to you what it what its gifts are. Um, what what final things do you want to share with people? Where can they find you? We've got, oh, I don't know, a minute and a half or something. Well, as I said earlier, visit us at theseekersforum.com. It would be wonderful uh, to have you among us. We do this wonderful writing practice every week. And if you're not a writer, just you know, hang out for the monthly talks and the guest interview. Otherwise, people can come to my uh, website, markmatusic.com, and there's lots of information about upcoming workshops. I'll be at Blue Spirit Costa Rica at the end of February, giving a week-long uh, a week-long intensive. And I have online classes, and you know, I, I this is my joy. This is what I when I'm not writing. This is what I love to do. Uh, so I welcome people to uh, you know come along and, and say hello. So if someone comes to you and they say, I can't, I just can't, I can't go on living, I can't. Yeah. What do you say to them? Well, that's exactly how my book starts. My sister who, uh, who committed suicide when I was 20 came to me and said, I can't, you know, how do you do it? You know, how do you live? And my whole life has been really dedicated to, to answering that question. The first thing to do is inquire into the uh, why you believe you can't. If you feel blocked, inquire into the block. What is the block? That's where the answer comes from. Uh, and so look, look, at, look at your own resistance. That's always the great place to start. All right. Thank you so much. Um, my beautiful guest, Mark Matusek, what a blessing. Thank you for being on my show. His book, When You're Falling, A Dive, and uh, this is Loretta Brown. Have a great week. Happy autumn equinox, everybody. Happy new moon. Be good. And we've got this. Yes, we do. Lots of love. Bye now. <laughs>